Good evening. Hey, great evening. What a lovely evening to be together. And now it is the moment of truth. I want to know how many of you hate the theme, the dressing room. Hands up if you were like, what? I hate this theme. I don't want to go to something that is called the dressing room that makes me feel so vulnerable and exposed. And it's just a stupid word and I hate getting changed in front of other people. Why would you do that? Thank you for coming. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming into somewhere that made, might make you feel uncomfortable. That's why we gave you a mask. The mask is our promise to you that we will not make you feel overly exposed, okay? We are wanting to go on a journey of increasing vulnerability, and I'll tell you from the beginning our destination. Our destination is one less layer. Just one less layer. That's all I'm asking for you tonight. But I've started off by giving you one more layer so that you can feel safe in the beginning. <laughs> okay, but just hang on to it for a while. And um, a little bit later, we're actually all going to throw these away together. Okay, so keep it for now. And I want you to think through the night as we go, what actually you need to get rid of as the Holy Spirit speaks to you to see what it is that you need to let go of in order to connect with the woman around you. So the dressing room, a woman coming out of the dressing room can be quite a beautiful thing. Quite, I mean, that big reveal moment, it's, it really is quite amazing, uh, the moment when she comes out of the dressing room. So Kiara, our 18-year-old, uh, she just turned 18 the other day, and I took her dress shopping, got her the most of our dress, and I just thought, wow, you know, it's the first time she's dressing up like this. I can't wait to see her dad's face when she comes out, and her brothers and her friends, what they're going to say. But Kiara, she went straight to her room, put it on with her school shoes and her messed up hair, and she came out, she says, like this, should I hang? I was like, oh, well, there went the big moment. She's showing me where she wants her skirt. Her father's face did respond because she was pulling up her skirt far too high where she wanted me to sew it, uh, but that wasn't the face that I was looking for. We were looking for that big moment. And then I heard that she took a little snapshot, selfie of herself, and sent it to all her friends that were coming to the party to say, look what I'm wearing, don't you love it? So she gets the dressing room idea. She, she, she totally gets the idea of having friends in the dressing room, of not needing that presentation moment of being all put together before you show something, which is uh, really quite, quite remarkable. The thing about a mask, the Greek word for a mask is actually persona, which is where we get the word personality. And personalities are very useful because we have to interface. We have to connect with the world through something. We have to be able to have a way that we express ourselves to the people around us. But the trouble with personality is one of the major features of your personality is the tendency to subtly reject yourself and come up with a package that will be more valuable than your real self, in your opinion. So we, we craft these personalities. We subtly reject ourselves. We know we've got to put on a mask. We have to wear something to go out. And yet we, we think that we, we overly identify with that personality and start to craft something, a presentation that we hope will be valuable because we don't think our real selves are. And that's not what I want for you. It's not what I want for us. I want you to know, I want you not to have to go through life never knowing if somebody could love the real you, if somebody could really, truly know you and would still love the real you. I don't want you to go through life first rejecting yourself and then never giving yourself the opportunity to be known and accepted by those around you. So first exclusion, meaning what it's, I'm not going to do and what it's not going to be like, is it's not going to be like Sade uh, suggested going to the Ghani, where they just go, whoop, towel off, bright lights, how are we going? No, it's not going to be like that. I'm not going to suddenly make you feel exposed when you weren't expecting it, when you were like, oh, just when you made me feel safe, and we're doing small talk, and then, phew, the sheet's gone. Promise you I'm not going to do that, okay? And another thing that I'm not going to do is ask you to overshare and be vulnerable with everybody in this room. I'm not going to do that. I think that, I believe that if we can be vulnerable with just a very few people that we trust, we can find out who our real selves are and we can be authentic with everybody. We don't have to be vulnerable with everybody. We don't have to overshare to everybody in order to present our real selves if we know our real selves, 
if we've been able to be that with a few people. And I'll give you an, an example. So a couple of years ago, uh, soon after Kiara's accident, uh, she had uh, our daughter had an accident when she was 13, and uh, an incredible miracle. And the the story got out, so the tens of thousands of people were following her story, which meant that uh, everywhere we went, somebody knew us. And when they knew us, they obviously felt connected to the story, to the depth of sharing. And so the number one response was, oh, "Are you Jackie? Are you? Ki I've, I've just got to give you a hug." which was appropriate and, and absolutely fine, uh, except when we went to the Virgin Active Gym uh, into the change room. And I had 13-year-old Kiara and 16-year-old Jada, both very self-conscious, who had agreed to come with me to the gym, and I promised them it would be fine. And we walked into the gym ch change room, and if you have ever been into a gym change room, picture like PE on steroids, and people of all ages just, just naked. <laughs> like, so naked. <laughs> Literally, the ladies are like, oh, drop my towel. I need to go do my makeup. <laughs> naked. <laughs> it's a thing. Anyway, so we walk in with Kiara and Jade, and I'm thinking, it's, we'll just go to the corner, you know? You face the little lockers in the corner, and then we'll do... We, it's, it's fine to get undressed here, but we'll do it like in a way that we feel comfortable. And as we walk in... This lady, who is completely naked, looks at us and goes, oh, Are you Jackie? Oh, is that Kiara and Jane? Oh my gosh, I've just got to give you a hug! <laughs> I just grabbed my girls, put them behind me, and I said, No. <laughs> Yo, I learned boundaries in one second. <laughs> I am not expecting everybody here to be vulnerable with me. And I don't want to hug any of you naked. Just so you know. <laughs> and if you're fine with that, that's really great. I'm not fine with that. And all of us only have to do what we're fine with, okay? And we only need to be vulnerable with a few people so that we learn how to be our real selves and then we can be that everywhere we go while feeling safe as well, okay? So that is all that I'm asking you to do. Those are the two, two exclusions that it's not going to be like. But it is my job up here to, to model vulnerability to you, to, to share things with you, to go on a journey, to show you things that will make you feel, uh, that will make you understand what it's like to be in a dressing room. I, I want to show you all the time what it's like for you to feel safe in the dressing room so that you can slowly, in the right circles, feel like you can start to take off layers too. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the sisterhood story. Seeing as it is the five-year celebration of sisterhood, what is sisterhood and why did we start it five years ago? So when you get added into a family, you might wonder if you've just arrived and this is your first sisterhood. When you get added into a family, whether by birth or by adoption, you get the current culture of that family. You don't have to play catch up on all the years of culture that that family has been developing and growing. And so if you're here and this is your first night, welcome. You're part of today's culture of sisterhood and what it is that we've developed here. So in the, on the 1st of May in 2018, I wrote an email to the ladies of the church, and it went like this. There is a stirring in the air, a fresh breeze that has been traveling around the globe, gathering momentum in recent years. There is a whisper in the wind, a caress so non-intrusive, it is often undetected. There is a ground swell of daughters taking their rightful place alongside their brothers, girls with boots on the ground, and eyes on the hills, girls that wear peace like a crown and courage like a breastplate, girls who are not afraid to take up arms. Have I lost you? It's me, one of the girls, certainly not the biggest or the strongest, but I have a voice and I'm using it to call, to call you out of hiding and into the sisterhood that is rising. The metaphor that I drew on for that is uh, 200 years earlier, America, North America fought a civil war, North versus South, uh, around slavery. And halfway through the war, the northern 
army decided that they were going to, for the first time in history, in their history, enlist black men in the army, not restrict them to just be uh, armor bearers and water carriers and, and information gatherers, but allow them to pick up arms and rise through the ranks and, and fight. And those in the South were fighting for slavery, and they really did not want to uh, release black men into their army. And one of their generals said, if we don't do this, we're going to lose, because that other army has just doubled in size. And they didn't do it, and they did lose. And there was just this feeling, a, a similar thing that was happening around the world with women. It seemed like just as slavery had always been wrong, but there came a moment where it was right to overthrow that evil, uh, that there was this moment where the oppression of women, the, the idea that gender restricted you from holding roles that were not restricted biblically from women from holding, was actually going to be finished. And that women started to, were, were starting to take up arms and God was calling out the generals, calling out the fighters, calling out those and, and arming women. And the call was to the women of this community to say, are we up for it? Are we going to answer God's call to enlist? Because all along, there's been throughout generations this, this song inside of our hearts of something that as godly women, we weren't allowed to sing. And so we chose to lay that down because everything is laid down for Jesus, male and female. We all lay down things for Jesus regularly, depending on our position, depending on society and what's good for the gospel at that time. But there was this song, and it seemed like God was saying, you don't have to hum it quietly anymore. You're allowed to start to sing it out loud again. And with an anthem, the men supported that idea. We got together and we chatted about theology. And the men of anthem said, we are for this. We want the women to rise up and to take their place alongside of us. And so for the first few years of sisterhood, two and a half years of sisterhood, the, the pastors and elders, the men, sat in the front row with us. I don't know if some of you remember that. But they sat here to show their solidarity. This is not happening outside of our knowledge. <laughs> it's not that these girls are up to a whole lot of nonsense. We, uh, we know what they're doing and we're okay with it. And so that uh, is how some of it began. And then over the years, uh, Kiara had... Sorry, can I... Do you guys need something? <laughs> they're right. Thanks, Jades. Just making sure you guys are comfortable in the dressing room before you have to take off your layers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so over the years, uh, Kiara's accident brought attention to what we were doing, and we included other churches with it, and other elders, other men were sitting alongside us in the front, supporting and being a part of what we were doing. And so those were the early years of sisterhood. I'm going to be using Psalm 139 throughout this, throughout this evening just to speak about, Psalm 139 speaks about how God made us, what He always intended us, what He knew about us when He knit us together, what His creative purpose for us was. And so we're just going to be picking out a few verses from there. And I just want to start off with a verse that says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You know, every step I will take before my journey even begins. And so our journey began with an invitation to having a seat at the table. We were invited to the party. We were invited by those that had seats to have a seat at the table. Because here in the dressing room, we can laugh and giggle and chat and have fun. But at the end of the day, we have to leave the dressing room and we have to go and take our seats at the table, we have to go to the party, if you like. I don't know if you've ever been unsure whether or not you're actually invited to a party, where you're like, this invitation arrived on WhatsApp and it just said, you're invited, but was it for me and him? Was it for both of us? Who is it for? And you're just not sure if you're included uh, in the invitation. And it's quite an awkward moment. And, you know, someone might say to you, oh, it's fine. They won't mind. Just come. Like, oh, it's fine for you to say that. I'm not sure that I just, you know what? I'll wait in the car. You go, I'll wait you in the car. Call me if they've set a place for me. What if they haven't set a place for me at the table? So Richard is um, on the governing body at the Northwood Boys High School here. And he received an invitation recently to go to some, some Lani function. And he wasn't going to be in town. 
But he said to me, I must just go. Oh, I don't, th <laughs> I don't think they were inviting Richard and Jackie. I think they were writing Richard plus one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know that I want to be Richard's plus one. But the funny thing is about this sisterhood journey is that the reason that I got to lead it and start it it was actually because I was Richard's plus one. So I, I was able to start this. The position, only position that I had to start it from was pastor's wife. Oh, I hated that title <laughs> so much. So much, in fact, that when someone came and asked me once, I was sitting around about in the fifth row there for some reason. I don't know why. I wasn't fighting with the husband. Maybe it was after the, church, after the service. They said, oh, are you the first lady? I looked at them, I said, no, I'm the second lady. That one over there is his first wife. <laughs> I hated being qualified by being Richard's wife. I don't know why. I'd really, I struggled with that. But that is actually how I got my seat at the table. I was Richard's plus one. I was a pastor's wife. And so I had a choice. Was I going to take that seat and start to normalize women sitting at the table and make space, make way for others? Or was I going to reject it because I didn't like the way that it came? And so I decided to take the place, take the seat, start the sisterhood, and start a journey with you where we could become more than just plus one. I don't know why I hated the idea of leading a ladies' ministry so much. For there's one, I could never believe I would one day lead a successful ministry to ladies. Like that was not on my bucket list at all. And I think that when we started that, a lot of ladies were here saying, I don't really do ladies' events, but I'll give it a go. And I think maybe one of the reasons was that we didn't want to be relegated to a ladies' event. Do you know what I mean? Uh, at our family Christmas, when we have all the family and cousins, we have the main table and it's laden with decorations and leaves and crackers and chocolates. And then there's the kiddies' table. And we chuck some crackers on there for them. <laughs> and they're fun there. They have a lovely, lovely day. <laughs> they don't get in trouble, and it's fun. And I think maybe we thought a ladies' meeting it was something we would be relegated to. But that is not what this sisterhood has been. This sisterhood is a dressing room where we get to get ready to take our seat at the table because we have been invited to the party so I think I can, I'm not um, overstating it. I think that you, you can nod your head if you agree with me. That over the last five years, even though maybe I was a little bit uh, shaky and nervous and reticent to start off with, I have grown in my vulnerability with you. I've grown in my knowledge of myself and what God has called me to do and to be. Uh, I think the most common feedback that I've got over the last five years is, Wow, tonight you reached a new level of vulnerability with us. Do you think, is that fair? Well, tonight, it's your turn. Tonight, I want you to answer the call. As your leader, I have gone on a journey in front of you, and some of you have followed with me, maybe one step behind me, three steps behind. Wherever it is, I want you not just to watch me on this journey, I want you to come on the journey with me. I want you to take a step into the vulnerability and the freedom that God has called you to as well. When Jada was a little girl, my, our daughter who was singing this evening, uh, she used to, she, she just in the first few years of her life, as she started uh, singing uh, on her own, we realized there was something special about her voice, something beautiful about her voice. And, uh, but she was quite shy. And so sometimes I would sing just so that she would join in, which is not what I'm amazing at. See, they're laughing at me, though. You, some of you are new here, and you think, why are they laughing? That's so rude. It's the dressing room. They are loud, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I would start, start singing, and she would join in, and then I would just quietly fade out, and she was left doing what she was clearly made to do. And I hope that for some of you, what I've done here has been a little bit like that, because I don't think that I am the most gifted leader in this room. I don't think that I'm the most natural leader in this room. I do think that in this room, God is calling out the generals. But I hope that what I've done has given you permission 
to step into what God has for you, to step up to whatever table and into whatever place. Because when we know that nothing is restricted from us, we can do whatever we want. Uh, even if it was something that we actually were originally allowed to do, but we just didn't get off the starting blocks because we weren't sure where we could go. You know, every step I will take before our journey even begins. So because I'm asking you to do something this evening, to do a couple of things this evening, your first practical step from a seat at the table is I want you to do what it takes, do the hard work that you need to do to throw off any non biblical gender limitations that you have on yourself. If you've been on this journey and you are still confused about what you're allowed to do, what you're allowed to dream of, who you're allowed to be, I want you to get hold of me and I will give you reading material and you need to do some homework so that we can know what it is that God is allowed to talk to us about. Is that okay? So your first practical takeaway is if you are confused about what's non-biblical, gender limitations are on you, let me know and I'll give you something to read. But a seat at the table is something that's given to you and you've got it, but it's not enough to have a seat at the table. We need to have a voice at the table and that's not something I can do for you. I can model it, but it's not something that I can give you. It's a journey that you are going to have to go on on your own. Again, Psalm 169 says, You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. God knows what we have to say. He reads our heart like an open book, which can be quite a, a vulnerable thing again. It's quite, quite an exposing thing to understand that God knows everything that you think, everything that you're going to say, everything that you could have said and didn't say. God reads your heart like an open book. You see, am I invited? That question, do I have a seat at the table? It could be a practical question of social acceptance, what's okay here, what's allowed. But am I invited could also be a shame question. Like, am I good enough? Do people like being around me? Do they even want me there? And if you are then going to go and take your seat at the table, it takes another step to actually participate at the party that you've arrived at or the meeting that you've arrived at or the, the environment that you've arrived at. To, to speak up and to contribute and to be a participator takes a degree of accepting who you are. It takes a degree of dealing with some of the shame inside of us, dealing with those deeper levels of personal shame and inadequacy, that we don't have something to say or that our voice is not worth it. So I've been very aware uh, that because of the position of privilege I had as Richard's wife, I had the opportunity, then sisterhood was started, and, and I needed to open up ways for you, that I needed to go on a journey to, to allow you to go on a journey. And I've taken that very seriously. I've had to deal with things in my life that I don't want to see reproduced in your lives. Things that I am not proud of and I'm afraid that you'll pick up, particularly ladies who are the same age as me or a bit younger than me. And so I've had to take that very seriously, dealing with, uh, with shame issues in myself, stretching myself, self-examining my life. And one of the things that I did in order to do this is, is write out a life story. Uh, it starts like this. I was born on the 13th of November, 1979, by cesarean section. My mum has one of the first epidurals in KZN because she's brave. And as I, as I write my life story and allowed God to start peeling away the layers and really looking at why do I do things? Why do certain things bother me? Um, where have some behaviors stemmed from? I, I came across some things in my life which... I just, something in particular which I described as the poison arrow. I came across like a, an abscess in the well point of my life from very, very young. When I looked down, where, where did this behavior start? Where did I first think this? Where did I first start to act on these sorts of things? And it was as a very young girl. It's important to note that this is a very, very, very yeah, a difficult and scary journey to go on on your own. And so I wouldn't recommend going on a self-discovery journey on your own. 
the point of the theme, the dressing room, is that we should guard it with others, with not many others, and not others who are throwing themselves at us, but with God and with trusted partners, a counselor, a husband if you're able, a friend or two or three, people that you can really trust. And as I, as I, I found this, I started to write a note to myself called The First Bends of Iniquity. Iniquity might sound to you quite a strong word for a four or five-year-old to, to use on herself, but the word iniquity, it actually just means crookedness, that, that there was something that we were born to that was just, it was just slightly off, you know, and what could we do but carry on that way, because there was just this, this first little bend of iniquity, and eventually, yes, if you go down the path of iniquity, it can start to be quite dramatic, and, and some of the things that you might think of when you, when you think of that word but as I was, yeah, just looking at that, I realized I was just born that way. Like, I was just born with this thing inside of me. And I, I wrote in that, in that note to myself, I feel so sad. I have nowhere to run and hide. And I feel so bad. And the voice of the, the broken little girl inside of me, I wrote this, you knew you were bad. You hid it from yourself. You're too bad to love. To know you is to learn that. And into that broken space of just the very, very little girl not knowing how to be any other way, I felt God spoke and said, hey, look at me. I'm still towards you. I haven't run away. And I, as I confronted the shame of those little girls bends of iniquity and the paths that they'd led me down that had been harmful to myself and to others. God just said, this is not for you. He, this is not who you are. He never said you're bad. He just said, this is not for you. It's very different. <laughs> very different to hear that the things that you've started to identify with, the iniquity that you've started to identify with, is not who God intended for you to be. It's not the real you. That's the only word of judgment that I got from him. Not a word of judgment at all, just this is not for you. Inside each one of us is a little girl who just, just couldn't hit the mark, which is the definition of sin. It's also a simple definition. You just can't hit the mark. A little girl who had bends of iniquity before she even knew which way was straight. It's a little bit like someone being born with scoliosis, which is like a crookedness of the spine, and telling them to stand up straight. And they actually just can't. There is a beautiful passage in uh, the book of Romans, a letter to the Romans that Paul is writing to them, and he's wrestling with something quite similar. Uh, he's wrestling with the fact that he wants to, he knows what is right, and he's got these instructions from God. He knows what is right. He's not too young to know, but he just can't do it. He just doesn't understand why he can't do what he knows he's meant to do. And in Romans 7 verse 20, he says this, something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. And he carries on. He says, I've tried everything, and nothing helps I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where we want to do one thing and do another. Friends, since the beginning of time, there has been a process of what has happened Soon after the beginning of time, there was the fall, where sin entered the world and made humanity crooked. And forevermore, we were born with this scoliosis, this crookedness that we couldn't escape from. And it wasn't just us. Because it started with humans, it, we were meant to rule creation. And so it went from the leaders to the people, like priests, like people, like father, like family. That's the way it always is. And it went out to creation, and we built societies of oppression, gender oppression, and slavery, and all of these things that we get born into that are crooked 
And when Jesus died on the cross, friends, he did not just die for your sins. He did not just die so that your crookedness could be forgiven. He died so that everything could be made straight. You don't just need to be forgiven. You need to be remade. It's one thing to be forgiven, but to be remade, to be able to say to the little girl, it's going to be okay. I know one who can make you straight. Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. He died to overthrow every single consequence of evil that we are living in. And so, yes, ladies, we were born into a history of gender oppression, incorrect, evil, wrong. And it was appropriate to present the gospel a certain way in that context. And it is being undone. Just as slavery was being undone 200 years ago, the way that women have been treated is being undone because Jesus came to conquer evil. And it's not just the gender confusion and, and oppression that we've been born into. We've all been born into different situations, evils that need to be undone in order for us to understand and have the courage to have the, uh, a voice at the table. We're born, and you may have been born Indian, and that will have certain connotations for you. You may have been born black or white, or, or rich or poor, or into a Hindu family, or into a family of addiction. Whatever it is, when we are born, we're born into a broken world, and we're born with scoliosis, with, with a crookedness that we cannot recover from. But Jesus came to set all of it straight which means that when you are sitting at the table and thinking, I don't know if I'm worth having a voice, you can stop thinking that. Jesus came to restore you to everything that you were meant to be. Psalm 169 carries on like this. You've gone into my future to prepare the way and you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. Jesus follows behind us to spare us from the harm of our past, from everything that we've done and everything that has been done to us. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? It is impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, for darkness is as light to you. When we read that first one, you read my heart like an open book, we can feel a little bit of fear and shame. But there is no point in putting up a mask to hide from the God who made you because darkness is as light to him. There's nowhere that we can go where we can hide from him, so we may as well stop and let him examine our hearts. Your second practical step for having a voice at the table is stop running from your past. Stop running from your sin from the oppression or the inheritance that you've been born into, confront it. Go on a journey of figuring out what is going on inside of you that makes you feel shame, that makes you feel like you don't have a voice. Commit to going on that journey and taking a few people who you trust with you and telling them. We, in recovery circles, write our life stories to read them to someone to be known, truly known. Oh, the freedom, the freedom that I wish for you of being known at the depth of your being, of finding out who you really are, laying it out before Jesus, him remaking you, and for you to be able to say, there is nothing that I need to hide anymore. There is nothing that I need to hide anymore. I'm truly known and loved for who I am. It is what I want for you. That's your second practical step. So if the fall happened in the history of time, and then this restoration, this redemption from Jesus happened at the cross, and we're continuing to outwork that now, what are we being restored to? Are we just a sinner saved by grace? that we, just, it's, we, we, we were wicked to start with, full of iniquity, and uh, it is by mercy that we have a seat at the table. It is by mercy that we're even allowed to speak at the table. Basically, we're just Jesus' plus one. 
Is that how it is? No, because Jesus is not just our redeemer. He is not just the one that can remake us. He is the one that made us in the beginning. He was the word in the beginning, and he didn't just forgive us. He made us with purpose. There is creation before the fall. And so being restored requires that we understand what that creation is. Our life story didn't just start with, I was born on the 13th of November. That's not when it started. It started generations before when we were woven into the story of God. He numbered the days of our lives, as Psalm 169 says, long before we were born. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. What are the implications of the fact that we are created? I don't know if you remember in uh, the, the sisterhood that we had at Grace Family Church, you say I am, and we spoke about Job, thinking that he had to take the gavel and judge himself, create himself, make himself righteous. But the fact that we're created means we don't have to make ourselves anything. We are made. We are created beings. And God has created us fearfully and wonderfully. Because we were first created beings, before the fall happened, humanity was first created, our, your most authentic self is not who you were born to be. Your most authentic self is who you were created to be. You might have been born into a family with an intention from your parents. You might have had your own intention of what you were born to do. But your most authentic self is who you were created to be. So what do I want from you? What do I want from you tonight? I want you to be free. I want you to be able to delight in who God made you to be and what you add. Because yes, I want you to join your brothers at the table. And yes, I want you to have a voice at the table. But here's the thing. There are a lot of things that we are tailor-made to be better at than men. I want you to be that at the table. I want you to now step up and start dancing on the table, <laughs> which is figurative speaking for saying, I want you to be everything that you were meant to be. So for me, yes, that may actually be dancing on the table. That is my heritage. And I love to dance on the table. My mother did it before me and my grandmother before her, which means maybe that I was born to do it as opposed to created to do it. But the point is, I want you to be completely unrestricted from being everything that you were made to be. I don't want you to arrive at the table and think, right, now I'm at, I'm at the guys' table, I made it, <laughs> woohoo, and now I need to speak up and, and lead with them and, and participate with them. I want you to bring something that only you can bring. I want you to be completely and authentically you. And that is why I want us to go on a journey here in the dressing room where it is safe of one less layer. One less layer between you and somebody in this room that you trust. Vulnerability is a journey. We don't have to do it all at once. It is a journey of giving someone bigger and bigger weapons with which to hit you if they wanted to and trusting them that they won't. And so it must be a journey. Don't, don't just hand out everything at once. But go on a journey of one less layer so that you can learn not just who you are restored into, but who you were originally created to be, what God intended for you. Because, Claudia, God made you for a reason. There was something that he had in his mind. The Bible says that before you were woven together in your mother's womb, he had an intention for you. He knew exactly what he wanted for you. He knew that there was something that only you could do. And the fact that you have just got your master's is a step in that journey. It is something towards taking your seat at the table, and I commend you. And Winita, who we celebrated tonight in her absence, but I wanted to celebrate her because I think that what she's done is exemplary, an example of what we want to do. 
uh, she first asked me for coffee about a year ago, and I had coffee with her. I thought I was special. Uh, and then the next week, I saw her sitting in the same coffee shop having coffee with Nix. And then the next week, she was having coffee with Sands. And the next week, she was having coffee with, I actually don't remember, but she, she has intentionally gone through the ladies of this church. If you haven't been invited, don't worry. She got, comes every week. <laughs> but she has just slowly and intentionally decided that she wants to give herself the gift of being known. And so I would liken that to her taking a seat at the table, even starting to have a voice at the table. But as she goes on the journey, as Juanita starts to have second coffees and third coffees and let people in to some of the things that she's afraid of and some of the things that she's ashamed of and some of the things that maybe she's never told anyone. And if she told you, would you run away? then she's starting to dig down and take off layers until she can be free. Does that make sense? I want that for all of you. I want you to go on that journey. And so our final practical takeaway is to do with the mask. So I hope that you still have one. If you don't, we'll uh, ask some volunteers to, uh, to hand them out in a second. But I want you to think of something that you are holding on to that you need to let go of in order to go on this journey. Uh, our last verse that I wanted to read to you, also from Psalm 139, the end of the psalm of being known and being made by God, the psalmist writes, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. See if there is any path of pain that I'm walking on. Because I described what I discovered inside of myself, that poison arrow, as like an abscess that was poisoning the wellspring of my life. And I never knew it was there for 40-something years. And as I discovered it, I have never felt healthier. I, it is the most incredible feeling to have cleaned out an abscess inside of the well point of my, of my heart. And so... We're going to ask God if there is any path of pain that we're on that we don't know about for his gaze into our hearts so that we can start to go on this journey that would honor the people that have given us this journey. I feel the fact that we have been allowed to do this is an honor. The fact that we live in this time period is seriously exciting and wonderful. And we need to, we need to give it the honor that it is due by taking it seriously and making the most of the opportunities that we have. Uh, and the thing that I feel that we can lead the way in with men is connection. It's women, no matter what sliding, where you are on the range of women, as a whole, women are better at connect, true connection than men. And we can lead the way in our community in that. Just as men are physically, in, in general, bigger and stronger, women are, in general, just better at connecting. And so we're going to start leading the way there. That's the, one of the ways that we are going to bring our full selves to the table, make this army better, more strategic, more successful by being ourselves, not just by joining the men, but by adding what only we could add and what they were missing before. So one less layer. You've got a pen under your chair. And these masks were, suggested, were intended to be, a, to be a, an aid to help us to go on this journey. But we're going to write there something that we want to let go of, something that we want to get rid of. I'm going to give you a few minutes. And then what we're going to do after that is you are going to, we're going to head outside and there are fires going. And we are going to burn our masks. And in return... We are going to be given a raw, natural heart. This heart is made of wood, which is a, a celebration, an anniversary gift to you all of five years of sisterhood. Wood is the traditional way that five-year anniversaries are celebrated. And we wanted to give you something that was raw and natural and beautiful, just how it is, with no varnish and no paint on it. And for you to put this somewhere that would count as your dressing room. So if you have a dressing room, beautiful. If you have a mirror that you do your makeup at, you can just put it there or uh, on the shelf next to your pile of clothing, whatever it is, so that every time that you get dressed, you know that we want to see the real you. 
that we want to know the real you, that you don't, you aren't getting dressed, that we are with you in your dressing room, so to speak, that you aren't getting dressed to hide, you're getting dressed to present yourself, but you don't identify with that thing because it's burnt, <laughs> okay? So we're going to play a little bit of music for you and give you a moment to, to start writing. We'll carry on playing with the song for a little bit longer, but when you are finished, you're welcome to start heading outside. Uh, there is one heart for each of you to take home and to put in your dressing room. You can burn your masks, and I think you've seen that you have got an invitation on your chair. So take that home and feel free to take any extra from the back there if you would like to invite somebody to our very first Sisterhood Day Conference.